So hello everyone and welcome to our next episode of Clinical Conversation, provided by the Royal College of Physicians Edinburgh, Trainees and Members Committee. My name is Andra Balargan, I'm a TMC member. Today we have an interesting and a very informative discussion touching on different aspects of healthcare and medical training in Malawi. I'm delighted to introduce our guests, Dr. Michael McKenzie and Dr. Isaac Chirwa, both working in the capital city of Lane Lowe, Malawi. Dr. McKenzie is an infectious disease consultant who trained in Edinburgh, and Dr. Isaac Chirwa is a consultant endocrinologist who did part of his medical training in Scotland. Together with Drs. McKenzie and Chirwa today, we're going to touch on several topics talking about healthcare and training between Scotland and Malawi. At the RCPE, we work closely with our international community, and we are a member of the Scotland-Malawi Partnership. Our international development group has been exploring and developing links with academic and healthcare institutes supporting postgraduate training in Malawi. Welcome both and thank you very much for your time today. So at the start of this podcast, I would be very grateful if you could give us a further introduction of yourselves and describe your training and work experience both in Scotland and Malawi. So I'm, I'm, I'm Isaac Chiro, I'm uh, working in Malawi in Lilongwe. I had what we called sandwich undergraduate training. So I did part of my undergraduate medical training at the University of Cape Town. And after three years, I got back to Malawi and finished my MBBS degree at the then College of Medicine, University of Malawi. Uh, after that, I did uh, internship or housemanship, as it's, it's called in other countries. And that usually was taking about 18 months. And then I started working as a, a registered medical officer. Then I trekked out of the country after about three, four years of work and went to the UK where I did my SHO training and, and then became a registrar. And then I got back to Malawi after a couple of years. Currently, I'm working as a, a physician with a subspecialty in, in diabetes and endocrine. What about yourself, Dr. McKenzie? Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Anda. Yeah, my my training um, in some ways is, is pretty familiar to, um, I guess, trainees maybe in Scotland and the UK at the moment. I did undergraduate medicine up in Aberdeen. And then um, I also did what Isaac did, the senior house officer training, junior and senior house officer training in that, in that system. And after some years, I did a very sort of familiar training program in um, South and Eastern Scotland in infectious diseases and general internal medicine. But um, at various intervals, I've come down in between the training posts, I guess, to practice in different parts of Africa. That's been a big part of my career also, just practicing medicine in Africa, most recently in Malawi for the last couple of years. I think we were discussing the training path is often quite long, but uh, I've had a mixture of trainings, uh, both the traditional one um, in the UK through the medical specialty system, um, and also some kind of real life training in different uh, parts of sub-Saharan Africa, most recently in Malawi. That's very interesting. And just out of interest, what made you both to want to have that kind of experience, broad experience, so yourself in the UK, Dr. Chirwa, and in Africa, Dr. McKenzie? I, I think for me, during my time, when you finish your undergraduate training, uh, it wasn't specifically clear uh, which route you'd follow to go through specialist training. There are other opportunities, but uh, it is very limited. And, and during that time, uh, most of our friends had opportunity through the pediatric department at the College of Medicine uh, to get connections through uh, the UK and get trained there. And, and that looked like the easier option uh, wasn't easy in the end. So it looked that was the, the, the route I could follow to go through my club, 
uh, and then uh, get a job in the NHS and then and proceed with my training. Uh, there were other options, but uh, that looked a bit more uh, what could, could have been achieved at that time. And uh, also, it was just the I wanted to get a feel of uh, the my, my consultant then, when I was working as a medical officer, he, he was somebody who had worked in the UK to consultant level and so he was like my mentor. So it was very easy to follow follow his footsteps. How did you find the transition process, Dr. Chu? Uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, it was quite quite a big difference uh, in, in terms of what what was expected and and actually just the the the, the pathology, the change in the pathology. I mean, during that time, HIV AIDS was a big thing here. It was there, but not such such a big thing. So the change in pathology was one big thing, and and the culture itself. And 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 Mike might might agree to that. There is some degree of uh, respect you you which you offer to uh, your seniors here, which is not the case in the in the UK. There's there's some degree of camaraderie, which is again to adapt to that culture. Uh, it took a while, but yes, uh, after a couple of months, it sort of settled in. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Dr. McKenzie? What made you want to have that experience in Africa? Uh, I can see that um, Isaac and I somehow moved in opposite directions a little bit, and then we've turned around and we're in the same place now. But I guess my motivations were two things, really. Uh, I guess medical school for me had its ups and downs, but out of interest, really, I, be- I became more interested in the immune system. And then through that, really, the sort of infectious diseases angle Isaac mentioned um, HIV AIDS and um, I remember getting a, a kind of talk, not, not not a lecture, but a kind of talk in medical school, I think maybe from someone from MSF talking about, and this was around the sort of the millennium, about HIV AIDS and what a sort of um, interesting disease that was. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I became aware of was really the, the burden of disease and the, that I felt that, you know, to go to sub-Saharan Africa as we could um, from from around that time, treat HIV AIDS effectively. It was kind of a quintessential experience uh, as a doctor. So, you know, it felt like something that would really be of great utility. So it was really interest and then wanting to make uh, oneself useful. A doctor is always useful, I think. But what I could see was there was a really big need um, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And that kind of drove me to work in um, Zambia and South Africa, particularly, and to start building up my experience. Thank you. That's very, very interesting. And I guess um, a bit later in this podcast, we'll touch a bit about the health conditions and the burden of diseases in in Africa and Malawi. Quite interested. So you, you both spoke a bit about training. What about if we think about medical training in Malawi? So if we take someone who's just finished medical school, what is there a specific path similar to what we have here in the UK to become a physician who kind of have a career path in a medical specialty? What is the is the training path in Malawi? Uh, things have these things have changed. Uh, the medical school in Malawi, and I might take uh, if there be another question to that. So currently, we only have one medical school in Malawi. I think started in the should be early or mid nineteen nineties. So it has grown uh, uh, over the years. Uh, there were attempts to set up another medical school. Uh, the one I'm talking about was previously in, in Blanta, which is the southern region of Malawi. But uh, just less than a year ago, there have been some changes, so it has changed in name, but it used to be called College of Medicine. 
But then there was another one which tried to to start, and that's where uh, Michael's was best when he first came in a long way at the young look. So they tried to start a, a medical school as well, but for some reason it didn't fully take off. So we would be talking here about College of Medicine, which has changed name now, but I'll still refer to it as a College of Medicine. Mm-hmm. So if somebody graduates from the College of Medicine now, at, at least there are options. So they, they, they tend to do the internship program, uh, which is usually 18 months under supervision. And then they, when they have successfully done that, they, they get registered by the Medical Council of Malawi. And, and then after that, uh, most people tend to be employed by the Ministry of Health of the Malawi government. And then they'll be allocated to, uh, assigned to different district hospitals uh, as senior medical officers. Most people work probably for about a year and there's those of interest to pursue a specialist training, then they are, they are currently, in terms of medicine, there are, are two main routes for them to follow. There is the Master in Medicine in Internal Medicine program, which is being offered by the College of Medicine. And then there is uh, the newly introduced uh, fellowship program. The fellowship program is run by a regional college. It's, it's a virtual college. It's called the East Central Southern Africa College of Physicians and is currently in seven countries. It's headquartered in, uh, in Uganda. This is basically based on the, uh, the Royal College of Physicians type of training in the UK because of the people who are helping out with, with Exacorp. That's the abbreviation. So one would either uh, apply for the Exacorp uh, fellowship or one would either apply to the uh, MMED program. And, and both of these are four-year uh, program. And then after the first two years, you sit your pipeline exam. If you pass, you go on to, to do your third and fourth year and, and have your exit by two exam uh, at the end of four years. And then you've finished your, your specialist training. Others, they still choose to go outside the country and train outside the country. But in the last few years, uh, with these new programs, uh, currently the two running, uh, most people are, are getting their training uh, uh, locally in internal medicine. Very, very interesting. Yes. And what about postgraduate examinations? So is there still kind of an examination process after medical school at the end of the fellowship you're describing? Yeah, yes. So the there the are two main exams. So there is the part one exam after two years because it's the postgraduate training program for them are four years. Uh, but you'd have to pass your part one exam to proceed to the third year of, of your training. So there is an exam at uh, year two, which is a part one, and then there's the ultimate exam at uh, year four. Uh, that's the end of the master's program or, or the fellowship program. With regards to the master's program, there is also this the, the yearly annual review of competence, which, which is done just like it used to happen uh, in the RSC training. I wonder if it's still happening in the NHS. Yes, so, those, those words ring a bell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we still have that for the fellowship. While for the, the master's in medicine, they have the exam at year two and the final exam at, at year four, which one has to pass to finish the training. And so, so basically the training path that you describe will take someone from their internship, so similar to what we have in terms of foundation training, to becoming a specialist in the area that they choose. What about Undergraduate training. So you touched a bit on that when you said and there is a one medical school in the country. What about accessing that? Can anyone apply? Is there free access for all people who want to become doctors? So it depends at what level you start, but there's there's a one year pre-med. Once one passes the pre-med, then they go to a five-year MBBS program. Uh, again, as I say, that that is offered by one uh, current one medical school. 
Uh, that medical school was initially just a medical school, but now it is amalgamated with the nursing school to form a, a university of health sciences. So mm-hmm. everybody would apply according to how they are scored at the final years high school or secondary school exams. So at the end of the year, final year of high school, the, the university would call for applications and then the candidates would apply and then candidates would be, would be selected in, into the program. So everybody has access, but as you might understand, I mean, you could have thousands who want to enroll, but you can only take how many the, the, the university can accommodate. Okay. Okay. And, and because of that, now we are seeing quite, quite a significant number of medical graduates in Malawi who have been trained outside the country. So they train and they come back home and, and then, and then uh, do the uh, work at yeah. Interesting. Sorry, I was wondering if I could, uh, and if I could maybe add a bit of perspective in terms yeah. of those undergraduate and postgraduate trainings, would, would that be okay? Or Yeah, yes, of course, please, please, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I guess the medical school, the undergraduate training is, I think, particularly important because per head of population, Malawi has one of the lowest numbers of doctors in the world. It's pretty low in the number of, of actual MBBSs or MBCHBs um, in the country. The medical school, the one, is, is such an important institution. And I guess for trainees and consultants and other people listening to this, if you walk into the medical school environment, the lecture rooms and the hospitals, in some ways it is really quite a familiar environment. In the morning um, at the main central hospital in the long way, the medical students are the morning handover, something, for instance, like the acute medical unit um, handover, mm-hmm. where the night shift staff present their cases and the medical consultants will sit there and ask certain questions. And uh, some people call that a grilling. Some people say that that's <laughs> kind of um, inquisitive inquiry, you know, uh, yeah. which helps yeah. to. But you, you would find yourself, I think, I found myself when I entered that environment in, in a very sort of familiar environment. And the specialists like Isaac and, and, and the colleagues that do that work have a lot of clinical experience and um, they've had the trainings in South Africa, UK or various different places. And it really is, I found it a very you know high quality training environment. And after the, the night shift, you know, junior doctors present their 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 patients um the medical students will present a case that they've clark and um you 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 know it's um very much in the tradition that many of us have been brought up in so got a, such a big job to to do to sort of supply um the good doctors which will help the healthcare system in Malawi i think from our discussions i think maybe even isaac's own personal journey in, in terms of postgraduate training and work i think what i would say is that isaac and and, and maybe his the, his um peers that i've met um, I've often been sort of pioneers in terms of having to find a route to become a specialist, as it were. Uh, I think that's been quite challenging. And I think that the, the 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 other significant thing is really that these training pathways for postgraduate medical specialists that, that Isaac has been mentioning, as I understand it, Isaac, um, are quite new. And, uh, and I know yourself and, and some of your colleagues have been quite important in setting these training pathways up. Pathways up. So these things are are new and they're fantastic developments. And the trainees that I've met in the first couple of years are very enthusiastic, keen, and I think uh, it's a great development. So there are things are changing in the positive direction, thanks to uh, the work of Isaac and his peers. Very, very interesting. And, you know, that led is leading nicely to my next question, which is going to be, you know, your involvement in training and education. And from what you're saying, sounds like you have a crucial involvement in setting up, but also providing that training together with your day to day work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as, as Mike says, so. 
and, and what emphasizes is correct. Like the fellowship we are talking about, this is probably our third year into it. And then the MA program is just a couple of years. So up until about four or five years ago, people were sent to Cape Town or, or Johannesburg for their specialist training. So most of us now are those who have been to South Africa and, and other parts of the world. And the crop of the, the local specialists in internal medicine probably just started, I think, maybe a year or two years ago. I mean, you, you can't run away from being, from being a trainer uh, because the numbers are very few. So you, you'd have to be involved in training. So currently, uh, both Mike and myself are uh, part of the, the faculty of, of the fellowship, which is at Camus Central, and uh, we, we have our slots where we, we, we teach and, and we coach the students. So it's part of the job you, uh, you can't do without, you don't have the privilege to, to stay away from it. You're sharing your experience and basically yeah. building the next generation of doctors in Malawi. Yeah, exactly. So thank you very much, Bo, for giving us this very interesting overview on the um, many aspects of training in Malawi. A good insight for us, but also a comparison to the system we have in the UK. Uh, I'd be interested to know a bit more about your working life and your experiences of practicing medicine. So I would be just grateful if you could both tell me a bit more about your day-to-day work within your specialty. What does it look like? Uh, work for me um, in the hospital starts again uh, with sort of kind of way of working that will be quite familiar to many people who are listening. It's ward round, you know, um, in the morning and typically there's handover like I've um, described, you know, which which incorporates uh, medical students and uh, junior doctors and presenting cases to consultants. And then it's really into ward rounds and hospitals that I've been working in, the Camusa Central Hospital, the, ma- the major hospital in the long way. And um, the Ang Luke Hospital, which is just outside, typically there isn't sort of subspecialty wards. There tends to be general general medical or general internal medicine wards. And so really it's um, uh, usually a, it can be a quite a, a long ward round with a really um, a mixed set of presentations and, and pathologies. And actually, when we sort of look at sort of audits of, um, you know, the type of things that are, are, are treated in, in the medical wards, what I've seen is that really it's a kind of even split in the long way, at least, of uh, infectious diseases and non-communicable diseases, which kind of works um, relatively well for me. Um, and so I feel that the training that in large part was facilitated through RCPE was particularly quite useful, at least in um, learning about the diseases. Uh, and then you get, so, you know, obviously some learning in the job in medicine. So getting more experience with um, some of the type of conditions that are, you know, less um, prevalent and incident in the UK. So um, there's still a lot of HIV AIDS, there's plenty of TB and there's plenty, plenty of malaria in the wards in in the right uh, times uh, of year. There are um, no doubt, and there are uh, bacterial infections which are so common, both community and hospital-acquired infections presenting to medical wards. But the uh, you know the lab capacity is quite is, is quite a challenge. So microbiology services are um, for things like blood culture um, are are harder to find. So you know you have to use a bit of you know more clinical guesswork really to try and uh, address those issues at times. Um, while we always strive to you know get microbiology samples and and, and get um, hard investigations to to help us. So there's plenty of infection, and for um, people who work in clinical infectious diseases, there's plenty of that. 
there are parasitic diseases and there, there are different presentations which are often quite florid for people my sort of cousins who are working in infectious diseases and microbiology there's plenty of work to do but that would be more in terms of establishing really good microbiology lab services that, that, that's a bit that's a high demand in terms of um going around the hospital general internal medicine presentations there's an awful lot in the cities certainly of diseases such as um uh, diseases related to hypertension so there are hypertensive emergencies plenty of them there are strokes. There's a lot of problem with uh, diabetes, which I'm sure Isaac will will kind of give an overview on. So there's plenty of variety in the wards. Of course, Malawi, like all other parts of the world, has had this particular disease called um, COVID-19, which has certainly uh, shaded my experience in Malawi um, or certainly influenced it. And um, we'll maybe touch upon, I'm sure, at another time, but plenty of variety plenty of clinical signs uh, on the wards. So a fantastic learning and professional experience with bigger challenges in terms of a smaller menu of tests and treatments that you can offer. So in some ways familiar, in some some ways unfamiliar. And in terms of that lack of tests or access to tests, is that really a lack of resources or training to run those or a combination? Yeah, I mean, I focus on microbiology. So we think when we think about PCR, which people have become very at least familiar with PCR tests, PCRs can detect infections. So those PCR tests are available for common diseases, which include COVID-19, HIV, and the GeneXpert uh, platform for detecting TB. But in terms of doing uh, tests like blood culture, urine culture, you know, culture of various different things which can guide our treatments, those things take quite a lot of investment and and training and, and skill. So those things are a bit more challenging. They are there in, in a couple of places which are which are very good laboratories, but they are um, more limited. And I think Isaac may touch upon maybe some of the other key kind of uh, endocrine inve- and, and kind of biochemistry investigations yeah. and how, how challenging it is to sometimes ask access reliable testing on that front. Yeah, so what about you, Dr. Chair? What's your what is your day-to-day work in life? Uh, thanks, Mike, for highlighting those. So I, I have uh, some slight advantage in that I'm flexible in the way I work. So I, I, I run a practice uh, which has a couple of specialties, and I also travel outside a long way to some rural place about 35 miles away, uh, which basically it caters for the rural population. I did that for quite a couple of years, about five, six years. So I would be three days at my facility, then two other days I'll be at this uh, which are secondary care hospitals run by best organization. One of it is where uh, Mike had been as well, the young. The other one is called in coma in the, in the rule of the long way. So it, my, my normal day would usually be a, a ward round. You you get a handover from uh, colleagues and then you do a ward round. And then uh, if it's a clinic day, it's, it's, it's some clinics. If you are to uh, do some presentation somewhere, then you go and do that presentation somewhere, mainly in the afternoons. Um, and of course, the days would be and be anywhere between 10 to 12 hours, uh, depend on, on, on how, how busy it has been. So our wards are just a general medical ward. Uh, there's only one 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 specialty, sub-subspecialty, which has this different ward, and that's TB. So there'll be TB ward, and then there'll be the general medical ward. So everything else is in there. Yes, so, so that one, again, if you, you'd get the, the handover from the junior colleagues and who worked overnight, uh, they'll hand over all, all, all the cases, and then uh, you do a ward round with the junior colleagues who are taking over in the morning. Then after that, you do your clinics uh, in, in the afternoons. 
uh, again, if there's a, any slot for you to be involved in, in some teaching, then you'd always fit it in there. So usually that's uh, oftentimes the day. And of course, you'd work on a weekend as well if the rotor demands so. And the weekends are predominantly a bit of a, a wards and some uh, scheduled clinics. That's basically it. But I just want to also to touch a bit on on, on issue of, of support service for patient care, basically investigative services. They, they, they are significantly limited. And, and, and the major thing is resources, a lab, advanced radiology, things like histopathology, biochemistries. Uh, they are limited predominantly because of, of resources. Uh, there are some staff who have been trained through a couple of colleges uh, and universities in the country, but I think it's, it's investing in the, in the necessary equipment, uh, which is, is part of the, the, the things as a growth in healthcare is, is looking at, at setting up one. And also number two is that they, they test themselves, themselves in our context. So it's not just setting up the service. If, if, for example, you, you, you'd want to do a couches, so the test itself would also translate into being, being expensive. So it's not just the setup, but also funding of the actual doing of the test. So these are, these are things which we need to invest into so that in it, it can support the, the numerous pathologies. We're very rich in the pathologies, but we need to learn more about them and then try to, to be guided in appropriate treatment. So resources, it's a, it's a major thing. What about the healthcare system then? How do you, you describe so kind of a, what would call a tertiary or an in-hospital healthcare and secondary, so outpatient clinic based? Where does primary care come into that or how is it organised in Malawi? Yeah, uh, let me try to, I'll try to explain it a little bit. So the healthcare system in Malawi is, is approaching in three main arms. The majority is public healthcare services, and then you have faith-based organizations, Muslim association, as, as well as the, the non-Muslim associations, other faiths, and these have their hospitals. Now, there's an arrangement between these faith-based organizations. They're mainly secondary care facilitators. And there's, there's an arrangement with the government. So they're usually in hard-to-reach places because the history goes back to when the missionaries, uh, some of them from Scotland, who came to Malawi and, and, and settled in the northern part of Malawi in the rural areas. So usually when the missionaries came in, they, they would start a school, uh, a church, and in the hospital. So that took up from there. So... We have faith-based hospitals, which are very good facilities, most of them, in the rural areas. And there's a special agreement with the government that staff in those places are paid for by the government, mm-hmm. and the government helps with other, other services, but they're to run by faith-based organizations. So these are secondary care facilities. And then there are the private facilities, which are very, very, very few in terms of the overall percentage of healthcare in Malawi. Most of them are just simple clinics. Now, the, the setup in terms of the, the healthcare now as such, combining all these, you have the what is called the primary healthcare facilities, which are basically what you call health centers. And then these can offer up to a certain a level of care. And then in other places, you move from there to a, a rural hospital. Now, a rural hospital will be able to do things like some minor surgeries. And then from a rural hospital, you move on to a district hospital, which is now a second care facility. In these second care facilities, so you don't have specialists. Specialists, they, they come from tertiary center facilities to visit. So they're, they're, they're visiting specialists. So you have visiting specialist clinics, 
existing specialist days of surgery, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But there are plans now to to get into these places what are called family medicine physicians. Then from secondary care centers, you get tertiary hospitals, and there are, there are four main tertiary hospitals in Malawi in each of the uh, the four political regions. So one in the north, in the south, in the center, and in the eastern region. And these are tertiary centers, so where you have almost uh, everything being done, and 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 so people are referred from secondary care centers to the to these uh, tertiary care centers, depend on which geographical part of the country the secondary care center is. I see. So so rural healthcare, you mentioned a bit about that. Have you both had experience of working in a rural healthcare setting? What's the main challenge in facing rural healthcare in Malawi? Yes, personally, I've, I've had, I had uh, during my medical school training, and, and as I say, I've, I've been doing that for the uh, last few years. I mean, the, 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 the challenges are a lot. You have infrastructure challenges, both on the patient side as well as the caregiver side, and these include a patient accessing health, you know, from where they are geographically to where the, uh, the health facility is. There could be infrastructure challenges. Uh, you have health-seeking behavior and attitude, which can impede, impede your cultural aspects on the patient side. And then at the facility, then you, you have the infrastructure itself. Uh, you have the supporting aspects you're saying, and you have human resource. In rural hospitals, it's a big problem because uh, people prefer to stay in the cities other than to be in the rural hospitals. So you would see that some of the rural facilities are really uh, basically to their bare bones in terms of, of human resource. And, and these are big challenges. And I think these are sort of things they need to look into as, as how to attract people to serve in the rural areas. What about you, Dr. Mm-hmm. McKenzie? Have you had experience of working in a rural setting? I, I, I have. I think that um, it, it strikes me what Isaac's saying. There's, a, I'm sure there's a, there's a parallel and similar debate going on, for instance, in Scotland in the rural parts about how to address human resource issues there. I, my, my rural experience, actually, I've, I've worked mainly in the last couple of years in the long way, which is the capital city. Uh, a few years back, I worked in Zambia. And I don't know, Zambia's a, na- a neighbour. Malawi is sandwiched between Mozambique, Tanzania and Zambia in the central to eastern part of, of Africa, really. And uh, Zambia and Malawi, I don't know if Isaac would, would agree, but there's the something like Scotland and Ireland. They're very they're kind of cousinly type mm-hmm. Uh, arrangements where they where they have similar cultures and, and, and arrangements and I worked in quite a, a rural part there and uh, it can start with some of the faith-based health organizations as well as the government organizations as doing a, a visit to a village which may be 20, 40 or, or 50 kilometers away from a tarmac road or further and um, it may be starting in a thatched, uh, you know, dwelling and seeing people with any kind of problem and deciding and advising who should come to town and who should be, be treated simply. It can start with vitamin therapy. Uh, there is nutritional problems and um, I work a little bit with the World Food Programme. From that, I know that undernutrition is a big problem. And uh, that can cause stunting and can cause have mental and physical problems for people achieving the potential. And um, a lack of vitamins is a real thing. So it can go from something like that to some very under-resourced facilities in um, small towns. Even in sometimes in, in the cities, in certain contexts, one can feel um, in the capital city quite under-resourced. The thing to note is, of course, that some of the, the services are, are free and provided by the government, but some cost money. 
And basically, you can be quite under-resourced even in, in, in urban environments. So, you know, you can go from very, very, very basic care, trying to look at nutrition through to um, complex presentations and trying to get mm-hmm. um, people with, you know, hypertensive bleeds through uh, long roads from the northern region to the neurosurgeon in, in, in the long way. And having that very interesting interface between a physician and a neurosurgeon mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what the best thing to do is to sort of salvage quite a difficult situation. There's a huge spectrum of, of presentations um, and in this part of the world, you know, it's a fantastic experience. Sometimes you can help and sometimes you can't, like anywhere. Sometimes it can be just some vitamins which can help. Sometimes it can be something much more complex and trying to problem solve and to get people to across vast distances to the, the best available resource. Very, very interesting. I find very interesting that, but also what you were saying earlier about, you know, patients' health behaviours and disease perception which is a very interesting topic in itself. But on that note, you're describing complex cases and a lot of pathology, different pathology. So what are, if we were to summarise, what are the prevalent health conditions amongst the Malawi population at the moment? And have you both observed, from your experience and knowledge, you know, a growing burden of non-communicable illnesses? Yeah, I think if we, we take it as, as a whole, uh, then usually we, we, we talk of HIV, AIDS, respiratory tract infections. We have the TBs, the pneumonias, malaria, the diarrhea disease and in maternal related problems. But if you, if you zero down on medicine, internal medicine as such, then I think we, we have the, the infectious diseases, uh, the HIV, the, the TB, the diarrhea, etc. But uh, yeah, I agree with, with, with what Mike said. We are, we are seeing a very significant increase in uncommunicable diseases, such that our, our, our programs now are changing. There, there wasn't much attention being given to non-communicable diseases until some years back because it wasn't a burden at all. But now that there have been changes that in some HIV AIDS facilities, they are co-managing. So they, they have protocols covering both NCDs and, and HIV so that if somebody comes to an HIV clinic, they obviously screen for NCDs and that's standard practice. Uh, and because we know of HIV, a positive individual is living longer now than predisposed to possible complications of, of the medications or basically mm-hmm. just like how it changes as they live longer. So the, the transition uh, to somebody like me, I remember years back you know, when I was in medical school and our specialist then when they're taking us through our hypertension and, and diabetes clinic, and you'd probably just have a couple of patients attending. But I remember about 18, 14, <laughs> You, 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 you could not go through your diabetes clinic in, in a day. So the clinics had to be split because of the overwhelming, overwhelming number of people. So the change has been steady but overwhelming, and, and that has put a huge burden on our healthcare. And again, that comes back to what Mike has said, that this necessitates a big need for a supportive services. For example, we need a bit more physiotherapists now because we're seeing more strokes. We need more speech therapists, things which were not there before. With that comes all the training challenges that we discussed earlier as well. Exactly, exactly. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. In terms of what I've seen, um, I mean, I guess the the major context is that I I believe Malawi is around 20 million in population. 80% of the population is rural. As specialists, and I think this is probably true in Scotland, the UK, Europe and beyond, is that 
most of this, what you would call specialists, I work in infectious diseases, Isaac and, and, and diabetes and endocrine, we're, we're practicing in cities. And so we'll see plenty of non-communicable diseases. In my words, it's around 50-50 in terms of acute medical presentation, if you put it like that, inpatient medicine in, in the hospitals that I work in. And it's a fantastic experience. You know, we can do quite a lot for both um, infectious diseases and, and non-communicable diseases. But I think probably there's quite a different disease profile in the rural parts and problems with nutrition. Specialties, other colleges, in fact, whole colleges, you know, obstetric uh, health is a huge issue in Malawi, more so than it would be in Scotland or the UK. Pediatric, maternal and child health. These are these are things which take rightly a lot of resource and a lot of um, attention from the Ministry of Health because they're such big issues. And, and Malawi doesn't have, for instance, the elderly population that Scotland would have, which is causing obviously a lot of challenges to the healthcare system. The overall population context in Malawi is quite different to the um, Scottish and they say the Edinburgh population um, challenge. But one thing I think is the same, obviously, with working in clinical medicine, uh, you get to meet the people. And what I would say um, to counterbalance all the troubles is that the, the Malawian people are, uh, as advertised, are extremely pleasant and humorous and, and warm people. So um, there's huge um, population and clinical challenges, but you can have fun. Well, you've uh, definitely shared uh, some great experiences and I'm, I'm very intrigued. Thank you very much, both of you, for sharing your very valuable experience with us and giving us some important insights into both training and working in Malawi. As you suggested earlier, I'm uh, looking forward to a next episode, uh, which is going to be on the experience of COVID-19 pandemic in Malawi. Thank you very much for your time and we'll see you soon.